I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all of the prophets and the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophet said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. To what can I compare this generation? It is like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, we've played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking and you say he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for an opportunity to come and worship in your name, Lord, and fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Lord, we thank you for your gospel, for its good news of salvation to us. Lord, I ask that today, this service, uh, both the music, the prayer, uh, Lord, just the fellowship, the sermon would all be used for your glory today, Lord, that you would bring us closer to you and you would encourage us and send us on our way to serve you again later today and tomorrow and the rest of this week as well. Lord, bless us as we move forward. We will honor and praise you in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. John the Baptist is one of my favorite characters of the Bible. I have many favorite characters of the Bible. I, I really enjoy the story of Jacob. I really enjoy the story of Samson. Uh, Peter is one of my most favorite characters in the Bible. And I really like John the Baptist. And what most of them have in common is they are just riddled with humanity. You, you think of other people in the Bible, the first one comes to my mind is somebody like Daniel, who you never hear about him stumbling in any way. So you have all these characters in the Bible who are just like bigger than life. And then you have somebody like Peter who's forever failing. And it makes me feel good, right? <laughs> to be able to say, ha ha, I'm not so bad. But no, even, even somebody like John the Baptist, as we will see later, had his moments of doubt as well. I love John the Baptist, and it's, and it's something that's actually really interesting about somebody like John the Baptist. He's alive, obviously, during the same time that Jesus is. He's one of his contemporaries. In fact, he's a cousin. You realize this. John's a cousin. Jeez, they hung out together. They went to feasts together. I did, I did this quick little research on, on some of the different feasts because even if they would have lived away from each other, at some point, they got to come together as a family because they got to celebrate like Passover and weeks and booths, which, by the way, this church should probably start celebrating the Feast of Booths because, as I understand it, it's just camping. And y'all would love it. So <laughs> it's a whole thing. You go out in the wilderness, you build a tent, you sleep out there. And it's all to just remember about when we were in the wilderness and God 
kept us walking around for 40 years. Let's go celebrate that. I think you guys call it bear hunting now. I think that's what it is. But, so, so these two people, John the Baptist and Jesus, they probably hung out a little bit. They probably had some conversation. They probably went, from, went through awkward teenage years together. Could you imagine that? Jesus in an awkward teenage year. It's a shame we don't have that gospel. But we know more about John the Baptist than we do probably half of the actual disciples themselves. Think about that. We know about his birth. We know who his parents were. They actually talks about it like the same time they talk about Jesus' miraculous birth. John the Baptist had a miraculous birth himself. He had a mother who was supposed to be well past birthing uh, years. He had angels come and tell his mom and dad, hey, you're going to have a child. He's going to be the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. And the dad laughed about it, so the, and the, so the angel said, fine, you're not going to talk about it until he's born. They had this whole miraculous thing. This is, this is somebody that we should be able to look at and be like, this is nuts, and we forget about him most of the time. I just, I found it astonishing how much we actually are told about John the Baptist versus somebody like Thaddeus. Who knows who Thaddeus is? Nobody. He was a disciple and nobody even knows about him. Think about that. We know more about John the Baptist than we do Bartholomew. Who knew Bartholomew? Nobody. He was a disciple. This is the point. It's amazing. So he, he also had his own ministry, and we even learned about his ministry. We get to learn about his ministry before we even get to learn about Jesus' ministry. Isn't that crazy? He had a whole ministry of baptism where he would preach repentance of sins, come back to God. And he did it without a temple, which was really crazy at that time. He told people, come on out to the river, repent of your sins, I'll dunk you, everybody will clap, it'll be great. Probably should have served barbecue or something, more people may have come. But that was John the Baptist's ministry. And he even had run-ins with both the religious leaders and the political leaders. He sounds really familiar, doesn't he? He sounds like Jesus almost. Very different people. I want to make sure you hear that. Not saying John the Baptist is Jesus in any way, but they have a lot of similarities. In fact, at one point, the Pharisees showed up to one of his uh, sermon times, one of the times where he's baptizing people, and what did he call the Pharisees? Does anybody know? You brood of snakes. He was not a quiet man. He had some gusto. And in fact, he... He did run into the political leaders as well, and that's how he met his end. And again, in a very unjustified execution of an innocent man. There's a lot of similarities. And so we find this time here in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. And you can hear in what he's saying the amount of admiration he has for this man. Jesus knows full well this guy's a lot like me. 
He's going through a lot of the things I'm going to go through. He's going to experience a few things before I even have to. So John has all of this. I'm sorry, Jesus has all of this feelings towards John. And in fact, when we pick it up, what has actually happened before this is John has been arrested and he is doomed to be executed. So what Jesus is actually doing, essentially, is giving a eulogy for his friend. That's what we find there. So let's look at it just a little bit. In these first four verses, again, what Jesus is talking about John, he says he is the greatest of men to this point. So there's no other prophet holds a candle to this guy. He even calls him Elijah. And if you know about uh, your, your Bible and you know about your, your Jewish culture during this time, Elijah was a big deal. And, and that's, that's kind of funny because you know less about Elijah than you do his own, uh, his own student. We know more about Elisha than we do Elijah. Good luck keeping that straight. I'm not getting into that. But Elijah was, was one of these individuals who was taken up by God. He was one of very few men we know from the Bible who have never died. They were taken up by God. And so Elijah is often used as the one who is going to come back and tell us about when our Messiah is coming. We love Elijah. And Jesus calls John the Baptist. He's Elijah. He is the one who is foretold who is going to pave the way for the other one who is foretold. See, and, and as Jesus gets to talking, you can start reading all the things that he starts telling about who John the Baptist is, and it kind of sounds like this. Jesus is saying he's an extremely effective leader of God's kingdom. This man was strong in his faith. He was steadfast in his purpose. He's unyielding in the face of opposition. He was unfazed under the pressure of prophecy. He was a true man of God. He says, this guy has been fighting against some violent men, and he keeps pushing forward. He is someone to emulate, even Jesus saying, this guy is something else. So we can, we can really see that Jesus truly had a great appreciation for who John was and for his ministry as well. And I, I want to make that very clear to you. He had a great appreciation for his ministry as well. And that's important to know because... Jesus' ministry and John's ministry looked really different from one another. And in fact, if, if we saw them today, if we sat here and we saw somebody else doing a different kind of ministry, every once in a while we get to go, hmm, I don't know that you're doing it right. And that's a dangerous position to be in. And in fact, Jesus even had, he had, was all within his rights to even look at what John was doing and say, John, slow down. You're not doing it right. 
Because who's Jesus? Son of God, he, he is God in human form to be able to say, there's a way to do this, John. And in fact, so we, we've built John up like crazy, but let's actually go back into this story because there's a few times where even John looks at Jesus and goes, I don't know that you're doing this right. At one point, John's own disciples stops Jesus and says, Jesus, how comes your disciples and you are never fasting like we are? Little section, a little time of, uh, we're a little bit holier than thou here. Shouldn't you be fasting? Because we're fasting. And we're pretty good at this. We've been doing this for a little bit longer than you. Might need to look into this. Jesus responds in an amazing way. He tells them, look, the bridegroom is here. Why wouldn't we have a wedding feast? Guys, you're in the presence of something that is supposed to be bringing you life and joy. Of course, we're going to experience life and joy during this time. How could we not? There will be a time for fasting. And then later, and actually it's in the same very chapter, where John is in prison, he sends his disciples to go ask Jesus, hey, are you actually the one I've been saying that you are, or should we be looking for somebody else? Can you hear that question? Are you actually the Messiah like I've been telling everybody you are, or have I been wrong this whole time and you fooled us all? That's literally what he just asked Jesus. The guy who, when they come around for those, those different festivals that I talked about, they probably remembered, hey, remember that time when the angels came and talked to you and Mary? Wasn't that crazy? Hey, remember that time when the angels came and they said that you were going to pave the way for this one? Could you, do you remember that? John is at a point in his life when he has taken all of those memories, all of those stories from his own parents, all of those prophecies from the Old Testament, and he's saying, I don't know if they're right. I don't know if I've ruined everything, if I've wasted my time. Do you think being confronted with that, how Jesus would respond? Let's look at the other religious leaders of the day when they come to Jesus and say, are you really who you say you are? Show us a sign. Do a miracle. Go. Heal somebody. Prove it. How did he respond to them? He yelled at them, rebuked them, kicked them out, told them, quit it. You brood of snakes. That's not how he responds to John, though. How does he respond to John? He tells, uh, this is, if you want to follow along, this is just back in verse 4 in chapter 11 there. He tells the disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and what you have seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. What Jesus is, is actually pointing him to are two different excerpts from the book of Isaiah. And those moments in Isaiah are basically saying, in the day of the Lord when the Messiah comes, this is what's going to happen. And Jesus took that and said, that's what I'm doing. Rest assured, brother, 
I'm him. Jesus responds to him in a way a co-laborer would. He responds to him in a way a brother would. He responds to him in a way a friend would. He says, John, I know you're in a rough spot. I know you're dealing with a lot of, a lot of bad stuff, but rest assured, you've done really good work. Uh, this is this is this right here. That little area right there. That question from John is why I love him so much. God, I'm putting a lot of work into this. I don't, I don't know if I'm doing it right, and I don't, I don't know if I'm following what I'm supposed to. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. And I know that I can come to God with that because those who are faithful to Him get responded in this way. You're doing okay. You're on the right path here. Can you imagine what that would have meant to John to hear? In this moment of complete and utter hopelessness, hopelessness and devastation, could you imagine what it even would have meant to his disciples even bringing that question? His disciples probably thinking, oh man, well, if John was wrong, then what in the world have we been up to? To hear Jesus tell them, yeah, I'm him. That's me. Isaiah was talking about me. And you can know because. Look at what I'm doing. You can see it. I'm so glad that when John asked that, Jesus doesn't respond with things like, are you serious? He doesn't respond with, how long have you known me? Do you know who I am? He doesn't respond with, you think, what, you think all those, those stories our parents told us were just bedtime stories? What? You think the angels were just messing around, man? He doesn't put John down. Even in John's moment, where they both know what's coming, Jesus is still encouraging. Man, and, and even in this, this eulogy that Jesus is giving, he still makes a point to point out where everybody else kind of is here. Verses 18 and 19. He points out what everybody else has been saying about John and himself, Jesus. He said, look, John was going about it in a very pious way. He didn't party, he didn't drink, he didn't associate with sinners. He preached repentance, he preached turning to God, and what did you call him? Y'all looked at him and said, you are possessed, man. You are nuts. So let's go to the other side of the spectrum. You got Jesus, who's going to, to banquets. He's going to, to wedding parties. Which, by the way, his, his first miracle was to keep a party going, by the way. Turn that water to wine, and let's keep the dancing going. 
He associated with sinners. In fact, he invited them along. And what did they say about Jesus? You drunk. See, Jesus is pointing out that we have these two different ministries, two completely different ministries. But they're going about it the right way and everyone else looks at it and they see it as something so different than what they're used to that they don't even know what to do with it. I feel like we can be that way sometimes. You see, the ministries that they understood during this day, the reason why John the Baptist called the Pharisees a brood of snakes and that Jesus was forever rebuking them and trying to teach them different ways was because their ministry was basically to show everybody else how much better they were. I'm going to dress in my fancy garb, I'm going to read my fancy scrolls, and I'm going to tell you how you've done your life wrong and how I have done it. Their ministry wasn't about anybody else, it was about themselves and building themselves up. When you have somebody like John the Baptist who did not care about fancy garb, he wore itchy, itchy camel furs. He did not care about fancy meals, he ate locusts and honey. He did not care about what you may have thought about him, he only cared about what you thought of God and what God thought of you. And in the same way, in Jesus' ministry, I don't care what you think about me, but you got a problem with you and God. And that's what I'm here to address. And that is truly the only two requirements of a good ministry. There's only two. Honor God, love people. And I want to point something out. That's actually the only two requirements that even Jesus gives us for what the law should be. Honor God, love people. Makes it really, really easy to try and figure this stuff out. Can you honor God? Can you love people? Then you got it. How's your ministry doing? Well, we're honoring God, we're loving people. Then you're doing great. How's your ministry doing? Well, we can't really get it off the ground because we're, we're dealing with some marketing issues and we're, we really want to make sure that people see uh, this. Well, you're not doing it right. Just honor God, love people. If we can accomplish those two things, then we are doing really, really good work. And I want to make this statement too. We should never stand in the way of another ministry that is honoring God and loving people. Never. I don't care if they're in our own backyard and we say, hey, 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 that's our territory. Nah. If you're loving God and you're, you're loving people, you go wherever you want. You see, there is a really big difference between what is called orthopraxis, which is the right way of doing things, and our preferences. That's the point. 
See, the Pharisees were often looking at their own preference. I prefer to be above you. I prefer to sit at the right hand of the host of the feast. I prefer that you address me as rabbi. I prefer that we only do this in certain areas with certain people. And really the the orthopraxis is honor God and love people. You might be thinking to yourself, well, man, how do I how do I honor God? Start with loving people. The honor God will fall into place. And say, man, I have a really hard time loving people. Then start with honoring God. The loving people will fall into place. It's an amazing thing. If you can do one, you'll do the other. It's just as simple as it is. You start with one, you'll do the other. They'll fall in line. It truly is. There isn't a right way of getting into that. It's just start with one and the other will follow. If you think two is too many, start with one. You see, because then what you'll realize is, and what Jesus was trying to teach even the Pharisees is, your ministry is more than just the time that you gather to do what's, what you think is your ministry. It's more than Sunday morning. It's more than Sunday night with the youth. It's more than maybe a Friday or Thursday night with the softball team. It's more than Wednesday night for Awana. It's more than Tuesday night with a Bible study or, uh, or a prayer meeting, whatever goes on Tuesday nights. It's your life. Your ministry is your life. Your regular nine to five is a ministry. Your run of the mill family dinner is a ministry. Your vacation is a ministry. Your quick errand to the grocery store is a ministry. Wherever God puts you, that's a ministry. Because God will put you there, and then the Holy Spirit will go to work through you. So long as you desire to honor God and love people. Don't wait for Sunday morning. See, it, it, it might look a little different in every aspect, too. It might look like you're going to be calling somebody to repentance. It might also just look like you're going to encourage somebody. It might look like you're helping somebody out in a tough spot. Or it might look like you're just celebrating someone and their achievement. It might look like a quiet night in your house. It might look like a good time out with friends. All of those things will be a ministry if you let it be. All of it. See, in the, in the middle of this eulogy as well, Jesus says something that I think would be extremely helpful to us. Verse 16, he talks about, well, how can I... What can I compare this generation to? You're like a bunch of kids playing a game. And you got a bunch of, a few kids who are just ruining the game for everybody because they won't do it right. 
So we play a wedding song, nobody's dancing. We play, so fine, we'll play a funeral dirge and nobody mourns. What he's saying here is, look, we're going to be doing the ministry. Just let it be a part of you and go and do. God's going to start playing music. Are you ready to start dancing? <laughs> At your family table when you're eating a meal, something's going to come up. Somebody's going to either have a rough day, somebody's going to have a question about something. God's playing music. Are you ready to dance? When you're at work and you're talking to one of your coworkers about what they're, what's going on in their life and they're going to describe to you a problem they have with their family or their friend or, or their boss, God's playing music. Are you ready to dance? You're going to be out at a restaurant and your waitress is going to come up and maybe your head's going to be a little bit lower. Maybe she's not going to be too upbeat. God's playing some music. Are you ready to dance? That's the whole point. Every hour of every day of the rest of our lives can be used as ministry. And the only question is, are you ready to dance when God starts playing the music? Can you honor God? Can you love people? Let's pray together. Lord, Lord, please, please, please give us the wisdom, give us the strength, give us all we would need to just be able to love well. It can be a really high ask. It can be a really difficult situation because we ourselves go through issues on our own. And to be able to take on somebody else's sometimes seems like a bit more of a mountain than a molehill. But Lord, we don't attack these things from our own strength. We use you. We use the Holy Spirit. We use the gifts and skills and abilities that you have given us, Lord. Give us the strength. Give us wisdom to know how to love others well. Lord, help us to remember all that you have done for not just us, but for this church, for our community, for our families, Lord. That we will just make it so easy on ourselves to want to honor you because of all you've done in our lives. Lord, send us from here with renewed spirit. Lord, bring into our lives those who need to see you and help us show them who you are. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.